Well, good evening. Good to see everybody tonight. Glad to have you joining with us there on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, each one of those platforms. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, to retweet us there on Twitter. Um, and I guess that's what you still call it. It's an X now. It's not the bird anymore. <laughs> because they've changed all that just recently. Uh, but do be sure to subscribe there on YouTube, uh, click the thumbs up on Facebook, and uh, also click that little notification bell on YouTube. That way you'll get the notifications when we go live. Uh, and then welcome to those who are joining with us on our phone live streaming. Again, if you need that number, call the church office. We'll be glad to give that to you. Uh, you have the, if you have the access to the website, highlandbaptistchurch.com, uh, it's under the info tab there that you can download uh, the worship bulletin for today, the children's worship bulletins, uh, those are in the windowsills, the children's worship bulletins over here. You can send those links, use it as a way uh, for outreach uh, to others, share it with your grandkids, your nephews, your nieces, uh, just a little activity uh, that they can do uh, with that. And then also don't forget your prayer list is also under uh, that link under the info tab. So be sure uh, to get that downloaded and be praying for those individuals. We updated several uh, this morning and we'll be updating our prayer list again this Wednesday. So you may want to check again Wednesday uh, for the newest one. And then also while you're there on the church website, go to the far right hand side, click that give online tab. You can do your online giving there. Uh, the offering envelopes are in the windowsills if you're here in person. So be sure to get those. You can place it in the offering plates here or at the doors as you leave. So Brother Mike, I guess we're ready. Come on. Good evening. Psalms 48.1 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. So let's praise him tonight by singing, Praise Him, Praise Him. 227. Pat. <laughs> praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Coming over the world to 
Brother Mike. Thank you, Miss Pat. Take your Bibles, if you will, tonight and turn to the book of Psalms again, Psalm chapter 9 and verse 1 through verse 20 as we continue uh, this journey uh, throughout the summer months here uh, looking at life in the Psalms. This one, as we said, is entitled tonight, Praise Him, Praise Him, the name of the song uh, that we just sang. And that's what you're going to see here. Now, a lot of what David has been talking about uh, is the persecution, the, the, the negative things that have been coming upon him, his enemies and such, uh, and, and crying out to the Lord to rescue him. In this chapter, we're going to find that uh, there is some of that, but it's more as a prayer to the Lord, uh, and it's the reverse here, more that he wants to praise the Lord uh, for things that have happened, uh, but most importantly for things that are yet to happen, but because God has already said it, it's as good as done. And so we're going to see that tonight. So re Psalm chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 2. And again, I don't have the superscription here. I forgot to put that on again uh, for you, but we will read that uh, to give us that direction for what this psalm is about. So uh, Psalm 9, verse 1 and verse 2. Let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. To the choir master, according to Muthleben, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage tonight that encourages us in our hearts to sing praise to you, to praise you for who you are, to praise you for all that you have done, and also to praise you for all that you're going to do because of the promises of your word. So help us, Lord, tonight, as believers especially, to be reassured in the promises that you've given us. And then also, Lord, for those who have never trusted by faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that they tonight will hear this message and hear the gospel in it. And Lord, that they would want to respond to receive Jesus as their Savior uh, for what he has done for them in, in dying upon the cross for their sins, being resurrected from the grave uh, to give them eternal life. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you will speak through this passage. May your voice speak to our hearts that no matter where we are in our stages of life, uh, each one of us are in different places uh, in our walk with you. Lord, I pray that we will find some way, some uh, thing within our hearts, maybe several things that we would praise you about uh, all throughout this coming week. So we give you the glory and the honor for what you're about to do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. The reformer Martin Luther said this very painfully and very truthfully. He said, some people confess God with their lips only. They are the ones, he said, who say one thing in the heart and another with the mouth, like the sinner who has evil intentions and sings to God nevertheless. That's a sobering thought to think that there would be individuals who would sing the, the hymns that we 
sing in our, our hymn books, that sing the praises of God and who He is, that would sing those praises and yet within their hearts they're as far from God as anything because, and they don't mean anything that they're, they're saying. Uh, there are some wonderful songs in this book, uh, in the Baptist hymnal. Uh, there's several others. We've got a, a celebration hymnal here. It's got some great songs in it too. There's some older versions of this that have some great songs that we don't have anymore in this one. Uh, but all those songs are great. When we're looking at the Psalms here, uh, we find that the Psalms are just like that hymn book. That's what this is, is a hymn book for the Israelites. It's a hymn book of songs uh, that are many times prayers uh, to God. And in fact, that's what uh, this particular one is here. Uh, Psalm 9 offers a word uh, for, for what Martin Luther calls there this disingenuous worship. Uh, and, and here David declares, he says, I'm going to thank the Lord. He says that in verse 1. Then he says in verse 2, I'm going to sing about his name in verse 2. And that he will do so with all his heart. He's going to worship the God who sits on his throne, as we're going to see in verse 4, verse 7, and verse 11. And he's going to do so with a genuine sincerity in his heart. There's not going to be anything fake about David's worship. Now, Psalm 9, as we said, is a psalm of thanksgiving to the Lord. The word Lord there is mentioned nine times in this ninth psalm. It's to God most high, as we'll see in verse 2, and we'll get to that uh, and what that particularly is there, the, the, the original Hebrew there and, and the name of the Lord there. Uh, so he's giving a, a thanksgiving of psalms to the Lord, uh, a psalm of thanksgiving, uh, to the God Most High for His punishment of the wicked. Now, a, a crucial area when you look at biblical studies, when you study your Bible, is eschatology. You know what eschatology is? It's the study of end times, uh, the study of the last days. Uh, what does the Bible teach about the future? For some, when they look at those kinds of things, they look at the Bible as some kind of mathematical puzzle that you have to decode. And for others, the Bible is, is mythology uh, to be discarded. When you read all those things in the book of Revelation or you read about things in Ezekiel, uh, you're thinking, that's too fantastical. That couldn't possibly be true. And so there are those who, who just say that should be discarded. For others, still others, the Bible speaks with a realism to be embraced. Now, biblical eschatology, study of end times, doesn't begin with Daniel or Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Uh, rather, the whole Bible is eschatological, uh, speaking about the last days, because from Genesis to the book of Revelation, the Bible is revealing God's purposes, uh, of His purpose throughout history, all the way through to its final fulfillment. So, in one essence, the whole Bible is eschatological. It is talking about the end times. You know, people in the Bible lived with that tension about uh, between promise and fulfillment. And so they had promises from God, and yet some of those promises had not been fulfilled. And so there was always that tension rubbing against one another. Uh, the, 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 they lived in that tension, the kingdom that has come and the kingdom that is still coming. So there's always been that tension between the futuristic study of end times and the realized study of end times of what is happening now because we are living in the last days now. And that's true in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. That tension, though, reaches its ultimate point in the New Testament as the final goal or, or the end breaks in upon us in the incarnation of Jesus, God, Jesus Christ. 
when we see the incarnation of Christ, now God himself is here. And so in Psalm 9 here, David is telling us why he praises and why he thanks his Lord. Now, that's going to be important about the end times as we get ready here to see some of the things that he's praising the Lord for that have not yet happened. But he's praising the Lord as if it's already happened. So this is a psalm of David as we read there in that superscription. Uh, if anybody could understand the blessings of God upon a nation, it was King David. He could understand that. God had been faithful, so faithful uh, to, to David over and over and over. Even in the midst of David's unfaithfulness, God was still always faithful. That's an encouragement for us that even in our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful to us. And so what we learn in the beginning of this psalm is the blessing and the favor of God will rest on those who seek to honor and to obey him. And so David says uh, that I'm going to praise the Lord Most High, and we're going to see several things that he's going to talk about that he will praise the Lord Most High for. The first is this, for his wonderful works. Now you'll notice the print small there, so that means there's going to be a list <laughs> here. There's not just going to be a few points, but because uh, we have quite a bit uh, in this psalm to look at. Uh, and so he says, I will praise the Lord, the Most High, for his wonderful works. Uh, look at verse 1 and verse 2 again. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So words of gratitude and worship are, are all throughout those first two verses of this psalm to the Lord. And this is the word Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, the God Most High, El Elyon. Uh, and so David is going to thank the Lord, he says. David says, I'm going to declare uh, all his wondrous works. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to boast. I'm going to sing. Now, I would encourage you to examine your own heart. And, and is that descriptive of your worship and your praise uh, of the Lord? Uh, do you rejoice in the Lord? Do you boast to others in the Lord? Do you sing truly, not just singing with the lips, but singing from the heart? And he says, I'm going to do this with all my heart, with a full and overflowing heart. David thanks and praises God who is the Most High. Now, Most High there is a description uh, of deity and occurs the first time in the Bible in the interaction between Melchizedek and Abraham, where El Elyon is the creator of heaven and earth and most high. Uh, it's descriptive of him being uh, the God of the universe and his rule over the universe. The God we serve and the God who loves us and the God who provides for us created this, not just this world, but the entire universe and everything within it. Uh, he is the Most High. He is a great God. And this great God has done great works, wondrous works of creation and redemption. You know, so often in life, we tend to focus on the negatives. You know, we ask somebody uh, how they're doing, and most of the time, now there's a few people that I ask that of once in a while, and, and they'll give me that positive response, better, uh, kind of like George Duncan would always be. Uh, say it again. 
another day in paradise. Uh, you know, better than I deserve. Uh, I hear those phrases sometimes. But that's not always the case. Most people you ask, it's like, yeah, it's okay. You know, and, and you know under the breath there, there really, there's something else that's, that's deeper there and is negative. You know, I would encourage you, especially because so often we may not say it verbally to others uh, about the negative things, but we're thinking those things. We're thinking about how bad life is. We're thinking about how bad our problems are and how bad our situation is. I'd encourage you uh, to start making lists uh, of the great things God has done for you. Because when you're going through those difficult times, that list can be an encouragement to you to remind you, wait a second, God did this and God has done that. God has saved me from my sin, the greatest thing that he could have ever done. God has provided for me. God has loved me. And you just make your list and try to be as specific as possible because God can use that in your heart to be an encouragement uh, to you. So, so here's this great God who has done great works, who has done wondrous works of creation and redemption. And then David says that I'm going to recount all of your, your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name. He says there in that first verse, he says, I'm going to do all that with my whole heart. Now, Charles Spurgeon said, a half heart is no heart. And that is so true. Somebody else said that the key to proper praying of the Psalms is purity of heart. The singing of Psalms involves prayer from one's central core, a heart characterized by wholeness, living with an undivided heart. So one of the first truths that we learn from David in the midst of all of this is that we ought to praise this great God with the integrity of our hearts, with all that we are. Why? Not because of us or not because of, uh, we want praise from him or, or we're praising him to get something back from him. We're doing it because he alone is worthy. He's the one who has done great things. So David says, I will praise the Lord Most High for his wonderful works. God has done a lot of works. So I'd encourage you to write down some of those wonderful works that he's done. And then he says this, I will praise the Lord Most High because he is a righteous judge. Now here we go back to some of the things that David has been experiencing in these previous psalms uh, and, and talking about uh, wanting justice uh, for the things that people have attacked him about. You know, what we see in these verses here is two important themes begin to appear in these verses. Read verse 3 down through verse 6 with me, if you will. He says, When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. So one of the things you see in those verses, in verse 3, 4, 5, and 6, is the, rep the repetition of the word you. So often in our prayers, what's going to be the repetition? I or me. 
Uh, we, we want it to focus on us. And, and here, uh, David is focusing on God. So two important themes appear in these verses. One is the Lord's enemies, also called the wicked, uh, and then also the Lord's throne. So he's talking about here the sovereign, the most high God, is going to act as a righteous judge against those who come against his people who have a just cause. Uh, so when you are living right before the Lord and you are seeking to honor the Lord with your life, now that doesn't mean that we're perfect. We, we're not talking about perfection here. That's not uh, given to us anywhere in the Bible that we're to be totally, completely perfect until we get to heaven. That's where there'll be no longer any more sin, no more temptations even to sin. But we are to be attaining to that so that when we're presented before uh, the, the, the Father uh, as the bride, uh, we are there uh, spotless, blameless, not because of us, but because of Him, because of Jesus Christ and His righteousness. So uh, he says here uh, he's going to come against the, his people or come against the enemies of his people who have a just cause. How will he do it? Notice the actions that come from the throne of heaven. He says, our enemies retreat. They stumble and perish before the Lord. So it's not about our might. It's not about our strength. It's not about anything to do with us. It's about him that our enemies stumble and retreat and perish. He says, it's the Lord who upholds our just cause. You know, sometimes uh, we don't want to get mad, we want to get even. We want to pay retribution to somebody for something they've done to us, when what we should be doing is placing that in the Lord's hands, letting the Lord take care of them, because He will take care of that situation in a much better way than you ever could. And there's things that you don't see, that you don't even know about the situation, that God does. And, and so understand this, He says, he, he upholds our just cause in verse 4. He says he defends the, the Psalm 1 type of person. Uh, we'll go back and read Psalm 1, and you'll see that description that he gives there uh, of that. The, the Lord rebukes the nations in verse 5. In this psalm, the, the nations are like those nations in Psalm 2 in Revelation 20, uh, verse 7 through verse 10, those who take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed. And so the Lord destroys the wicked in verse 5. The Lord, notice that he goes even so far to say that he has blotted out, he has erased their name forever. The very memory of them, verse 6 goes on to say, has, has perished and so the Lord's enemies have come, as verse 6 says, they have come to an everlasting ruin. And the Lord's enemies see their cities destroyed. God's righteous judgment is swift and certain against his wicked enemies. Derek Kidner says in his commentary that the past tenses of verse 5, uh, look back at verse 5. He says, you have rebuked the nations, you have made the wicked perish, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. So, so understand he's saying there, look at the verbs there, you have rebuked the nations, rebuked. You have made the wicked perish, made. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Those words there are, are in the tense of what we would call a prophetic perfect. In other words, it's a feature that's only found in the Old Testament. Uh, it describes coming events that are yet to come as if it's already happened. Uh, so, in, in other words, so certain is the fulfillment of what he's saying here 
So certain is that fulfillment and so clear the vision, it's as if it's already happened. So, so you may look around and you may wonder, you, you may look at your enemies, you may look at the people in this world who are enemies even against Christians, and how do they keep getting away with this? Why does God allow these things to continue on and on and on? Uh, why do they keep getting away with the things that they're doing? But you know, it's kind of like when me and my brothers would go, to, go with my mom, she was a single mom. Uh, my dad had died when I was five, and so for seven years she was raising three boys, two of those were twins. She would take us to town sometimes to Jacksonville to go shopping with her, and we always gave her problems. We were always, you know, boys, and so uh, we got in trouble lots of times, and uh, whether it was at the store or we were in the car on our way back uh, home, uh, we'd do something that was mischievous or something, and it was an hour, hour and a half drive to, to come back from Jacksonville to where we lived uh, in Lottie, and you know what she would always say to us when we'd get in trouble? She'd say, you're going to get a whipping when you get back home. You just mark it down. You know what? My mama never forgot. <laughs> Always thought and wished. Maybe she'll forget. Maybe it's a long time till we get there. We can get her distracted on other things, talk about other things, and maybe she'll forget. But she never forgot. That's what you see here in the fulfillment uh, of these judgments that are coming upon the wicked. You may not see it yet, but you can count on it when it comes, when the judgment comes. They're going to get it. They're going to mark it down. So, so God has dealt with these enemies in the past, and he's going to deal with them in the future. So the day of their judgment is coming. You can count on it. And so David says, I'm going to praise the Lord Most High for his wonderful works. I'm going to praise the Lord Most High because he's a righteous judge. I'm just going to put it in his hands, and he can take care of my enemies. You know, that is so freeing when you begin to do that. You begin to put those problems uh, that you have with, with other people that you might consider enemies or that really are uh, enemies. Uh, you put all that in the hands of the Lord because He is a righteous judge. He knows the facts. He knows what is truth. You may think you know, but He does know. And so David says, I will praise the Lord most high because he's a righteous judge. But then he says also, I will praise the Lord most high because he is a refuge of safety for his people. Go down to verse 7. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So go to verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So notice some things that he says here. The Lord Most High sits enthroned forever. Nobody, no demon, no person can ever take God's throne. In other words, he will always be the judge. You might want to be the judge. You might want to mete out justice, what you think is justice, towards others and, and getting even towards them. But he is the one who's on the throne, and no one can ever overcome him upon the throne. Uh, he has established his throne forever for a specific purpose. What is his throne there? For judgment. 
And how is he going to judge from his throne in heaven? Well, verse 8 provides the answer there with that beautiful Hebrew parallelism. He judges the world, which is wicked, which is sinful, with righteousness, with what, with what is perfect righteousness. He executes judgment on the nations with fairness, with rightness, and with righteousness there. And so this ought to bring comfort and hope to us as God's people. As verse 10 says, to those who trust in his name. In other words, we ought to flee to the Lord. And when you flee to the Lord, you discover that the Lord is a refuge for the persecuted, a refuge in times of trouble. That's what verse 9 is saying. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And, and so his just and righteous rule He's saying is going to be like a high tower. In a high tower, you can see things from a different perspective than you can from down on the ground. And God always sees things from a different perspective than we do. Because not only does he see things from a higher vantage point, he sees things from an eternal vantage point. He sees things from the beginning to the end. And so he, he is, uh, he is, his rule will be like a high tower. It'll be a place of refuge. It'll be a place of security for those who are crushed, for those who are the oppressed. Because he's a refuge, if I have a personal relationship with him, then I can trust him because I can be assured he's never, ever going to abandon those who seek him. He is a place of safety for those who know his name. Again, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, The Lord may hide his face for a season from his people, but he never has utterly, finally, really, or angrily forsaken them that seek him. He said, Let the poor seekers draw comfort from this fact, and let the finders rejoice yet more exceedingly. So understand, when you're in trouble, when you have enemies, when you have problems and you have difficulties, the very first place you ought to run is to the Lord who is your stronghold, the Lord uh, who is there uh, to protect you if you trust in him. So, so you, and when you do that, know this, you will never, ever be disappointed. So David says, I'll praise the Lord Most High for his wonderful works. I'll praise the Lord Most High because he is a righteous judge. He's always going to judge things rightly. I'll praise the Lord Most High because he is a refuge of safety for his people. And I will praise the Lord Most High because he hears the cry of the oppressed and he saves. Look at verse 11 down through verse 14. We'll just start with verse 11. So in the midst of all of that, he's been talking about his enemies and how I'm just going to trust the Lord to take care of those things. He's a righteous judge. He's a stronghold for the ones who are oppressed. Uh, if you know his name, put your trust in him. And then here's what he says in verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. So the Lord who is seated on his throne... In, in heaven is the same God who dwells in Zion amongst his people. He is both above us and among us and in us. He's such a great God that he ought to be praised as we sing to the Lord and as we proclaim to the world and to the nations the things that he has done. 
So, so Zion is the mountain where Jerusalem was founded. It's where the temple would be built. And so when he's talking about that, uh, he says, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Uh, he's talking there about Jerusalem. Uh, and so you remember that's where God chose uh, to have the temple built. Uh, that's where he chose to make his presence uh, specifically known in that place. But then, uh, as we've been studying on Sunday mornings in the Gospel of John, Jesus has been promising that the Holy Spirit is going to come. When you go over to the book of Acts, you come to the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit now is not coming upon people. The Holy Spirit is coming to dwell within those who are believers. So you have the power and the presence of God living within you if you trust in Him as your Lord and your Savior. So today, He makes His presence known not in this building but in you because you are the temple. In fact, Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? He goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19 down to verse 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So God has done wondrous works, wondrous works as we see there in verse 1, and also deeds there in verse 11. And these deeds, these works of God ought to be proclaimed to the nations. What he's talking about here is evangelism. He's talking about sharing the good news of the gospel. Verse 12 goes on to give us an example of those deeds. So in verse 12, he had said, tell among the peoples his deeds. In verse 11, verse 12, he goes to tell one of those. He says, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So there in verse 12, as he's giving that example, God remembers those who shed blood. And he's going to require them to give an account. What he's saying here is that God does not forget the cry of the oppressed. God sees everything, and God is going to remember, just like my mama and even better. He's going to remember all those things that have happened that were individuals or, or groups of people have oppressed his children. He sees it all. He remembers it all. The murderer is going to give an account. The oppressed will be vindicated. It may not happen right this moment. It may not happen tomorrow, but you can take it to the bank. God knows and God sees and God will call the murderer to an account and the, and the oppressed will be vindicated. God is the avenger against evil and the rescuer of the hurting. That truth leads David to voice now in verse 13 and 14 a very passionate and personal prayer in these two verses. So he said in verse 12, For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Verse 13 he says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. 
So notice some phrases in those verses. Be gracious. See or consider my affliction. Lift me up from the gates of death. What David is saying here is that I am at the very threshold. I am at the very gates of, of my life being expended, dying, that, that my enemy is going to overcome me. And he asked God to deliver him from death at the hands of his enemies against those who, who hate me. And in response, he says, I will recount or declare all your praises. I will rejoice in your salvation. So where will David give his praise? Notice he says, it'll be in the gates, within the gates of the daughter. Uh, let's just read it again there. Uh, he says in verse 14, I, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. Do you see the beautiful contrast there? Did you see another gate in those verses? So in one place, he's saying, Lord, deliver me from the gate of death. In the other place, he says, I will praise you in the gates of the daughter of Zion. It's a contrast that he's giving us here, a beautiful poetic contrast, that after being lifted up and delivered from the gate of death in verse 13, David says, now I'll praise the Lord and rejoice at different gates, at many gates, not just one gate, but all the gates here of the daughter of Zion. What's he talking about in Jerusalem? He's saying, I'm going to make it known to all the people how great you are, God. How often? Do we do that? When we prayed to God through a situation we've been going through, a, a, a struggle in our life, and, and God delivers us, and we don't ever say another word about it. We don't ever give another word of praise about what God has done for us. David says, Lord, you've delivered me from the very threshold of death. I'm going to go to all the gates throughout all the city of Jerusalem, and I'm going to make sure everybody knows the great things you've done. God had saved him and moved him out of the doors of death to the doors of the Lord's holy city. What a reversal. What a joyful turn of events. He thought, I'm dead. My enemies, they're going to wipe me out. He thought he was dead, but now he's alive. Does that even sound remotely familiar to you in our salvation experience? Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. Once I was blind, but now I can see. What a wonderful turn of events that we even see. The, you just can't help as you read that. Uh, the contrast there between the gate of death, that's where we were spiritually. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and Christ loved you and died for you on the cross so that you could have eternal life. Have you made his praises known to the gates of the nations? Have you told others about how great your God is? David says, I'll praise the Lord Most High for his wonderful works. I'll praise the Lord Most High because he is a righteous judge. I'll praise the Lord Most High because he is a refuge of safety for his people. I will praise the Lord Most High because he hears the cry of the oppressed and he saves 
and I will praise the Lord Most High because He will deal justly with the wicked. Notice verse 15. In the midst of this political turmoil, in the midst of social unrest, in the midst of economic uncertainty, in the midst of all the things we see going on around us in this world, it's easy to get discouraged. It's difficult not to feel anxious, not to feel despair. And you add to that the injustices and the abuses of the oppressed and the poor that we see every day throughout the world. I mean, just turn on the news. How much positive things do you see on the news? Very, very little, if any. You, you, you open your apps on your, on your devices and look at your news feed. Most of it is negative, how bad things are, uh, how, how uh, oppressed people are, the poor, uh, seeing them oppressed throughout the world. It's so much negativity that you could almost give up hope. Sometimes it's just good to t turn it off. I don't even listen to that stuff. Go back to the Word of God, because He already knows what's going to happen. You can find your assurance and your, and your strength for those difficult times in His Word. That's exactly why we need to hear the words of Psalm 9, especially these final six verses. He's telling us in these verses here that a day of reckoning is coming. Divine justice is on the way. The Lord is going to make things right. So when you look at all the evil around this world, and all of those who have been killed for, for meaningless reasons. You think about all the babies that have been aborted uh, throughout all the years. Justice is on the way. A day of reckoning is coming. The Lord is going to make things right. And not just those things I listed, but so many more things that this world is in sin with. And notice verse 15. He says in verse 15, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known and has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Higion Selah. Now verse 15 and 16 there again uses that terminology of the perfect uh, the, the, the future perfect there, the prophetic perfect uh, of, the, of the Hebrew language. These are future events being described in the present tense as if it's already happened. In other words, he's saying judgment is coming. You can count on it. It's written down. There's no getting out of it. It's going to happen, period, end of story. If, if God has said this is going to happen, you can count on it. And so these are such sure and certain judgments that are coming. And so David, he also uses several powerful images here showing how God is going to use the wicked person's own schemes and their own devices to execute and to, to distribute his own judgment. Uh, he's saying here that these raging nations, they're going to fall into the pit of their own making, verse 15. And they're going to be caught in the net they hid to catch others in verse 15. The Lord's going to appear. He's going to make himself known. And so when the trumpet sounds and the Lord Jesus comes back again, end of story. No more chances. No more opportunities. That's it. The judgment is here. And it's going to catch a lot of people 
by surprise. Not just the world, but some people even in the church. So the imagery of verse 15 continues into verse 16 as the Lord himself snares the wicked by the work of their own hands. What a surprise. What a reversal of fortunes. What the wicked plan for others becomes their destiny and their experience. You know, there's a little bit of a hint of that when you read the story of Joseph, who his brothers threw him into a pit and then sold him into slavery, and he was carried down to Egypt, and all of that happened uh, to him, and they told their father that he was dead, and then eventually God brings, uh, it doesn't happen immediately, but later, years later, uh, God brings a, 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 a famine across the land that they have to go down to Egypt to get resources to be able to eat and to sustain life. And when they go down there and, and they're confronted with who he is throughout the whole process there, you remember what Joseph said? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So that's an assurance that we need to remember that no matter what is happening in our lives, no matter what the enemy does against us, notice here what's going to happen. They're going to get caught in their own trap, the trap of their own making. And notice what he says there at the end of that verse in verse 16. An unusual phrase, Higion Selah. It means meditate on that. Think about that. They're going to fall into the pit of their own making. They're going to get their foot caught in the net that they wanted to trap you in. Every time you see that word selah, it means pause. Think about what you just read. When you see higion selah, that means meditate on that. Think about that. Then notice verse 17. The future judgment of the wicked it's a signed, sealed, settled reality. The wicked are not getting out of it. If you're here tonight and you're watching even tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you could try to make all the excuses that you want before God when you stand before his judgment seat, and none of those excuses are going to hold any water. The judgment is signed, sealed, and settled. Verse 17, the wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. In other words, they're going to return to Sheol, to, to the grave, to, to the dust. Uh, you come from the dust, you're, you're going to be returned to the dust and to death. And those that forgot God, they're not going to be remembered anymore. You thought you could forget him? You didn't have to do anything with him. You forgot about God. In the end, you'll be not remembered anymore. They've been removed from the land of the living. Go on to verse 18. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. So, so they forget God and they won't be remembered anymore. They've been removed from the land of the living. In contrast, the needy will not always be forgotten and the hope of the oppressed will not perish forever. God will remember them and he will rescue them. Justice will be done. God's people 
may have to wait on justice, but you won't have to wait forever. You do not wait in vain. So he says, I'll praise the Lord Most High for his wonderful works. I'll praise the Lord Most High because he's a righteous judge. I'll praise the Lord Most High because he is a refuge of safety for his people. I will praise the Lord Most High because he hears the cry of the oppressed and he saves. I will praise the Lord Most High because he will deal justly with the wicked. And I will praise the Lord Most High because he hears our prayers and he will show us who we are. Notice verse 19. In verse 20, these final verses here in Psalm 9 are a prayer, a petition, a request. They almost have the, the feel of a taunt, if you will, as the Lord who sits on his throne is set in opposition to mere mortals. So David says in his prayer, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. Think, consider what you just read. David pleads with God to act and to intervene in judgment using that imperative there that David calls on the Lord. Lord, rise up. That's a request for, for quick action. Specifically, he's asking the Lord not to let humans, not to let man prevail. Earthly tyrants, criminals, mere mortals. And David asked the Lord to, to judge these men, to judge the nations who foolishly reject him, who foolishly reject Jesus Christ, his anointed one. He wants God to judge the nations in his presence. They'll be called to give an account before God's divine tribunal, as we see there in verse 19. He says, put fear, put terror in them, Lord. And let the nations know you're not God. You might think you're God. You might think the world may think they're in control. But he's the one true and living God. And that's what he's saying here. He, he's saying let them know they are only humans. Let this wicked people, these wicked nations, once and for all, now and forever, know that the Lord our God is the only God and that humans are not. Selah. Think on that. When you look at all of Psalm 9 here, Psalm 9 looks back to the Lord's wondrous works of creation and redemption. But it also looks forward to the, in anticipation to the Lord's work of salvation in Christ and ultimately looks forward to his judgment at the great white throne. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is where God's enemies come to an eternal ruin that verse 6 was talking about. This is the place that verse 17 is saying that the wicked will return to Sheol. All of this is going to take place to honor his name, the name that we alone can put our trust in that verse 10 was talking about. So just what are these wondrous works that we should keep before us? Our creation from nothingness. That's the way he created this world, out of nothing. The Lord's constant provision for our lives. That's a part of his wondrous works that ought to always stay before us. His promises with respect to our final destiny. His covenant with our, our forefathers and, and its fulfillment in Christ the Savior. Our deliverance from the bondage of sin uh, through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. Our passage through the Red Sea of baptism. Our journey through the wilderness where we are nourished with living water and the bread of angels. All your wonders then has a, has a reference to the great mysteries of our redemption, the incarnation the atoning passion and death of Christ, the glorious resurrection and the ascension, the sending forth of the Holy Spirit, uh, the founding uh, of the church. All of those things display God's grace. Uh, and all of those things that are displayed there are the center of the message all throughout the Psalms. It's all about God. This is the God who is on the throne. This is the God that we worship and we praise for all eternity. And so David says again, I'll praise the Lord Most High for His wonderful works. I'll praise the Lord Most High because He's a righteous judge. I'll praise the Lord Most High because He is a refuge of safety for His people. I'll praise the Lord Most High because He hears the cry of the oppressed and He saves. I will praise the Lord Most High because He will deal justly with the wicked in your life. And I will praise the Lord Most High because he hears my prayers and he will show me who I am. When we look at our nation, this is a nation that has been extremely blessed throughout the years. We've enjoyed the blessings of God in our nation. But how much longer can we expect to experience his blessings when our nation keeps turning their backs on him even us why would God want to bless us anymore have we walked in his ways are we following his truth have we been faithful to his word if you have then praise him for who he is praise him for what he has done Praise Him for all that He has yet to do based on the promises of His Word that you can stand upon. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. Let's praise Him. Heavenly Father, thank You. We praise You because You are a wonderful, wonderful, loving God who has loved us so much 
that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And Lord, there may be those who are here tonight, those who may be even watching online or listening online, who have never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And so I call out to you, dear God, in the midst of where they are, wherever they are in their journey in life, maybe they feel like they're oppressed. Maybe they feel like, Lord, things are pressing in upon them from every side and they just can't take it anymore. Father, I pray that they will turn to you and call out to you and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on that cross and was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day. I may not understand it all, Lord, but I believe and I trust in what Christ did for me on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart and to save me and to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, if someone's prayed something like that in their hearts and, they're, and they've meant that, Lord, with all sincerity, Father, I pray that you'll assure them in their heart that your word says that they are saved. And Lord, that they would publicly profess that by, if they're at home uh, by just writing us or calling us here at the church or, or sending us a message there uh, through, our, through our platforms that we're on. If they're here in person, that they would come during this invitation to publicly profess that faith in Christ and then to follow through with believer's baptism. Lord, thank you for those of us who already have that assurance of our salvation. May we come to the place of David that even in the midst of all the bad things that are happening around us, even in the midst of all the questions we have in this life, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on in the world? Why are you letting all these bad things continue on? Don't you see, God, won't you bring your judgment upon them? Lord, remind us of this passage in Psalm chapter 9, that there is nothing that has escaped your thoughts or your sight. You've seen it all, and that judgment is coming. But we also know the truth, Lord, from your word, that you're not, you're not slack concerning your promises. You are long-suffering because you don't want any to perish. You want all to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we as believers would begin doing something that we haven't always done, that we would do what David did here. We would praise your name in the gates in the community, in the workplace, amongst our neighbors. We would tell others about how great you are and what you have done and all that you're going to do in the days ahead. May we testify to the world around us and may we sing your praises every day, no matter how bad things are. And may you be glorified and honored in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand as we sing our hymn of invitation, softly and tenderly, number 312. Maybe the Lord's laid on your heart here tonight. Would you come tonight? If you're at home, uh, you would sing with us also, and you respond there at home. So, Brother Mike, would you stand?
Amen. Thank you for joining us there at home on those platforms. Uh, be sure to come back and join us Wednesday night in person if you can. Uh, but we'll be back online there at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll be back in the book of Micah one more time. And so hope you'll come and be a part of that with us. Uh, you'll receive a wonderful blessing. But you have a blessed week. Stay safe. We'll see you this coming Wednesday, 6 o'clock. Thank you.